You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about UFC Fight Night Magni versus Kiesa, which has a main event in the welterweight division between top 10 ranked contenders, number 8, Michael Maverick Kiesa, versus number 9, the Haitian sensation, Neil Magni. Then, in the co-main event of the evening, about another bout in the welterweight division between Warley Elvez coming back, who has a victory over former interim welterweight champion Colby Chaos Covington going up against newcomer to the UFC and phenomenal striker Munir the Sniper Lazez. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing? Hey guys, how's everybody doing tonight? And like I said, we've got predictions for UFC Fight Island Magni versus Kiesa. Phenomenal bout between number eight and number nine ranked contenders in the welterweight division. A lot of prospects on this card, including Munir Lazez, as we mentioned. We've got a phenomenal flyweight bout between top 10 ranked contenders Matthew Danger Schnell and Tyson Nam. You've got the return of Larone the Miracle Murphy, who's undefeated at 9 0 with one draw going up against a tough test in number 13-ranked Douglas Silva D'Andrage. And then you've got the rebooking of Omari Akhmadov versus Tom Breeze, which takes place, um, which was supposed to take place at UFC the last fight night, I believe. No, two fight nights ago, right? Was it UFC fight? No, no, no. It was supposed to be the Kelvin Cater and Max Holloway card. I think, and then they pushed it back. If not that one, it was the card right before that. So, you know, this this card is very, very good. You've got um, a former champion in another organization in Dolce Lugiambula, and uh, he fought in the light heavyweight division and then moved down to 185. So he's going to be carrying over a lot of muscle and a lot of strength, but I think his speed is going to pick up a little bit, and that might be just what he needs against a guy like Marcus Perez. We're going to talk about that fight in a little bit. Um, Munir Lazez versus Warley Elvis is going to be your fight of the night. And, and without a shadow of a doubt, um, Warley Elvis versus Munir the Sniper Lazez is going to be your fight of the night. It's going to be a striking masterclass. There might be a few takedown attempts um, mixed in. I don't necessarily see a takedown unless it's Munir Lazez pulling in Warley Elvis and taking him down. But we'll talk about that when we get to that fight. We're going to um, start this off. And before you ask, I, I had did not cover UFC 256, and I that that's such a disservice to not have talked about that event because it was phenomenal. Every that fight night or that um, pay per view was so good. It's a disservice that I didn't cover it. So that will be coming. I am planning on covering that and UFC 257 in like a wrap up show. I will have a special guest on the episode as well. Um, we're working out the details on that now, and I don't know when that's coming, but it should be coming very soon, maybe next Monday um, after UFC 257 goes off the air with Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. That next day, that Sunday or that Monday, we could um, record that podcast and get it all ready to go. So hopefully we can put that up because I'm looking forward to doing that episode for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm going to get into the prelims and we'll talk about um, Max Holloway versus Kelvin Cater. I would love to talk about that on the next episode as well, just because I want to get these predictions out to you. So if you're looking for a Max Holloway versus Kelvin Cater prediction or not prediction, I'm sorry, a post fight analysis and a breakdown, I am going to watch the highlights. I've already seen the fight and uh, we know what happened, the volume and, uh, 
range management of Max Holloway had him put on a masterclass domination against Kelvin Cater outboxed the, what many consider to be the best boxer at 145, and made it look quite easy with his volume and mix up and, uh, High level changes and mix-ups with the combina- with the strikes in the combinations. So um, I will talk about that. We will watch it, watch the highlights on uh, the computer, and I'll talk talk to you about what I saw in the fight and what led Max Holloway to victory. So don't worry about that. That is coming as well. Um, we're going to start off with the prelims. So up first in the middleweight division, like I said, former champion in another organization, Dolce Lugiambula, who holds a record of 10 victories and two defeats, going up against Marcus Perez holds a, vic- a record of 12 victories and four defeats. Now, when you look at Dolce Lugiambula, he does have a loss to Magomed Ankliev, who is a southpaw, just like Marcus Perez. Hold on, I'm going to pull up his record. Here we go. I got it right here. So he lost to Magomed Ankliev on November 9th. That was uh, VS third round KO. And then he lost, He beat Dequan Townsend via a knockout in the third round with a vicious ground and pound from the mount. Um, but it was done off of a shifting combination. Um, when you look at a guy like Dolce, champion Dolce, I know a lot of people like to call him that. He's very, very good at um, you know not being so active, drawing you in, thinking that making you think he's not going to commit to a shot, and then stepping in with switch stance and shifting combinations as he moves forward, or he'll wing that overhand right into a left hook. He'll wing that overhand right and switch to southpaw, and then come with the left over the top, kind of like a um, the setup that Dustin Poirier likes to use, where he'll jab with the rear hand in southpaw, step forward with that check hook, and then come over the top with the overhand right. That is a weapon we are going to talk about at nauseum in the Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier breakdown for UFC 257, which is more than likely going to be coming up or be posted, I would say maybe to, not tomorrow, but Thursday. I think I can get it up. So hopefully I have it up by Thursday. That gives, you know, three days to watch it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the fights on Saturday aren't until, um, nine o'clock PM, um, on my side of the pond over here. But, you know, we, I thought it would be early cause a lot of the Abu Dhabi cards are early, but it's not. So let's get back to this breakdown. Um, Dolce Lugiambula, like I said, he's very powerful. He's a very strong striker. He's a good grappler as well, but we don't really see him. We haven't seen him resort to his wrestling in the UFC and against Magomed Ankliev, he was taken down and controlled in the half guard. And then, um, eventually, like I said, got front kicked, but he doesn't tend to, um, shrimp his hips and try to get up to a base and get up that quickly. He likes to kind of lay on his back and, you know, let the fight come to him. Um, I think that's more beneficial for him to do against a guy like Marcus Perez than it would be for Perez to lay on his back against a guy like Dolce because Dolce definitely has more power. He's got the, he's got the speed advantage and the power advantage. Um, I would say that the movement advantage goes to a guy like Marcus Perez. Now, if you look at Marcus Perez's last few fights, we're going to pull that up. Where's Perez? Last fight. Well, his last fight he lost to uh, Dreykus Duplessis via a first-round knockout. He went to catch Dreykus, Driskus Dreykus with a spinning elbow up against the cage and got caught with a left shifting left hook to the body. It was probably meant to go to the body, but he caught him as he spun with that elbow, hit him on the temple, dropped him, and knocked him out. Um, the low kicks were... 
kind of a big problem for Marcus Perez, but Perez was viciously landing that left power body kick. And since you got an orthodox versus southpaw fight here, um, the the left body kick is going to be open for Marcus Perez. That is his best shot that he throws is that power left kick to the body and low kicks. Look for him to use that against Dolce. Try to keep him at range, keep him away from him and uh, try to stay in the middle. He comes out with a little bit of a karate stance. Does uh, Marcus Perez, he'll hop in and out, in and out of range, step in. He'll kind of shift off and dart in with his hip and then um, pivot off to get away. Um, but he doesn't really keep his hands up. And he does tend to come into range and get caught over the top when he comes in. Now, against a guy like Dolce Lugiambola, you don't want to get pushed up against the cage because he can use his um, vicious power and his speed and his combinations. Like I said, shifting combinations, you know, right overhand to a left overhand or a left hook, um, a double jab. Um, a one, two, three, four, like throw three or four punch combinations. He's got a lot of power and a lot of speed and he's good at moving his head out of the way too. He'll come in, move, try to move out of the way or step in, maybe fake the step in and then, um, pop back and, uh, fade back out of range, but he's not that active. I think activity wise, um, you got to give the advantage to Marcus Perez. He's going to be moving. He's going to be looking to kick the legs. He's going to be looking to kick the body with that left kick. He's going to want to get the outside foot on Dolce. Now, Dolce will switch to southpaw in those shifting combinations. He will sh shift to southpaw just in the middle of the fight and uh, move around and then try to land some good punching combinations. Now, what one thing you've got to realize is he's coming down from 205 pounds. So will the cut from 205 to 185 be detrimental or will it be beneficial um, for Dolce Lugiambula. And to be honest, I think that it benefits Dolce. I think his speed is going to go up and he was already very fast for light heavyweight. I mean, he dropped, um, Magomed Ankliev with a beautiful shifting, sh um, punch as he stepped in. Um, so it's, a, he's not a guy that you want to close the distance against recklessly. You don't want to close him up against the cage. He's like a caged animal, but you got to make sure you faint and then step in faint and then step in, maybe fake the shot, move in closer and then throw it or get into a clinch exchange. Um, I think Perez, like I said, he's got a good left kick to the body. He's going to look to land a lot of kicks. He's got a good, um, straight left hand, a right hook. But I think, to be honest, I think he's going to step in against Dolce and Dolce is going to crack him because he doesn't keep his hands high, because he tends to rely on range management to get away from a lot of shots and maybe pull back, slip. But he doesn't keep his hands up very high. I think the body kick, like I said, is a big weapon. That is the biggest weapon for Marcus Perez is that body kick. Um, look for him to set up a spinning elbow if he is backed up against the cage and he thinks Dolce is going to come in. He did it against Dreykus Duplessis. He did it against um, the last guy he fought, which was a fight he lost a decision in. As long as I can pull it up, I don't know why it's taking. Uh, Wellington Terman. So he did it against Wellington, where Wellington would push forward, and then as he pushed him up against the cage, he went to land a spinning elbow. I think that's a bad idea against Dolce. I think Dolce is going to see that and uh, probably look to counter just like Dreykus Duplessis did, but I don't see it happening. I think uh, I think the shifting combinations counter the lack of head movement from Marcus Perez. And I think Dolce champion Lugiambula gets the victory via a second round TKO. So I'm going with Dolce Lugiambula to defeat Marcus Perez via a TKO in the second round. All right, up next in the middleweight division, you've got Omari Akhmadov, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of 20 victories, five defeats, and one no contest going up against um, 
going up against a guy who could be a vicious, vicious top contender in this division, and that is Tom Breeze. When you look at the ranks, the ranks of both of these fighters in their division, I'm going to pull it up. Sorry, give me one second. Because I know, I, I believe, I think Omari's ranked like 11 in the welterweight division. He's coming off a loss to Chris Weidman, which we uh, will talk about in the breakdown of this fight. But let's just uh, pull this up really quick. We're going to go to middleweight. So Omari Akhmadov is ranked 13 and Tom Breeze is unranked. So with a win here, Tom Breeze can vault himself into uh, the top 15 of the division, which I do believe he deserves to be there. Now, when you look at a guy like Omari Akhmadov, like I said, he's coming off a loss to Chris Weidman. Um, just got out wrestled, out grappled on the feet. He uh, he was able to land some good shots against Weidman. Um, he tends to wind up on a lot of his shots and throw winding, looping punches over the top. It's overhand right, a left hook, a jab, um, a knee to the body. Looks to get in close, like in an over under clinch or in a single collar clinch, and hit you with shots and uppercuts to the body, and look to rough you up on the inside. He's not the cleanest of fighters, but he makes it a dirty fight and he makes it messy. That's what makes him so. Um, that's what gives him so much success in the UFC against Weidman. He could not deal with the wrestling and the takedown attempts, but he did take down Chris Weidman. And uh, it's not as impressive to take down Weidman in his career at this point. Um, he has been taken down by the likes of Joel Romero, which is nothing to be ashamed of. I don't believe he got taken down by Kelvin Gastelum. He definitely didn't. Um, we'll look at some of his wins. I mean, he lost to Chris Weidman, and then he beat Ian Heinish. He beat Zach Cummings. He beat Tim Bosch. He uh, had a draw with Marvin Vittori, which looks really good. And he defeated Abdul Razak Al-Hassan via decision. So when you look at the level of competition in the opponents, you give that to the Wolverine Omar Yakhmadov all day. He's fought the tougher competition than has a guy like Tom Breeze. But let's look at Tom Breeze's last few fights. So he beat KB Bular via first-round knockout. Beautiful um, jab to straight left hand. Was eating up KB Bular all day. Um, he lost to Brendan Allen via first-round knockout. Um, he got stopped on the ground. Kind of got, you know, caught up and got beat. And then before that, he beat Daniel Kelly via first-round knockout. And then before that, he lost to Shane Sean Strickland. Via decision, and then beat Keichi Nakamura via decision as well. Um, the the key for this fight is on the feet. Tom Breeze is way more crisper than Omari Akhmadov. Omari Akhmadov likes to wind up with his punches over the top, left hook, right hand, looping overhand right to a wide left hook, and throws himself off balance. With a guy who's going to be in an opposite stance like Tom Breeze, and who has such good boxing, and he's so tall for the weight class. That's another thing. Omari Akhmadov's going to be at a height disadvantage, so he's going to look to be crouching, stepping in, and trying to close that distance and cut off the range of a guy like Tom Breeze. You can cut off the range with pressure, and you can cut off the range with takedown attempts, fake takedown attempts to clinches where you try to go for over-under or double-under hooks, and uh, you can use that to your advantage, and that is something I definitely see Omari Akhmadov looking to do is tie him up an over-under clinch, rip some good shots to the body, and then keep Tom Breeze up against the cage to um, you know tire him out and make him not be able to strike at range. But the problem with this is they're in opposite stances. You know, Armari Akhmadov, orthodox Tom Breeze, a southpaw, the check hook, 
and the straight left hand is going to be the weapon for Tom Breeze. He's going to be looking to land that check hook. He's going to be looking to fake the jab and hook with it, hook off the jab. You know, he's going to be looking to do that a lot. And he's so good at getting angles and setting up those straight left hands that I think he's going to be able to find the chin of Omari Akhmadov. Now, Akhmadov isn't an easy guy to finish. You know, Weidman couldn't finish him. He did end up getting some good grappling exchanges, but Omari Akhmadov was able to scramble and get back up to his feet. You know, he he does have good scrambling ability, but he does tend to get taken down, and he does get tired because he carries so much muscle. He's so thick for 185 pounds, and, you know, middleweight's a, a big division. You know, right underneath light heavyweight, it's, it's full of big, thick guys, but his muscle mass, the longer the fight goes, it, it requires more oxygen. It puts more lactic acid in the muscles. And that tends to um, lead to his demise the longer the fight goes. But he can push a pace. Even if he gets tired, he's still going to try to get in your face. But I think the jab of Tom Breeze is going to be like a fence, like a fencer's sword. And he's just going to keep poking him with the jab every time he tries to step in. I think he pokes him with the jab. The jab keeps him at range. He counters. He hits that one, two, drops um. You know what? I don't think he gets a finish. I think he goes to decision, but I think Tom Breeze's jab and the straight left hand and the range management and distance control is going to be the key. He's going to constantly be cutting angles on Omari Akhmadov, um, staying away from the cage, throwing some high kicks probably to offset the rhythm of Omari and make it harder and more hesitant for him to, uh, to shoot in, make him more hesitant to close the distance and uh, constantly land that jab in one, two. He could get a finish, but I'm going to go with Tom Breeze to defeat Omari Akhmadov via a unanimous decision. All right, up next, we move to the main card. And the first fight on the main card in the featherweight division, you've got Larone, the Miracle Murphy, who's undefeated at nine victories, no defeats, and one no contest, going up against the number 13 ranked Douglas Silva D'Andrage, who holds a record of 26 victories, three defeats, and one no contest. Um, I love Larone Murphy. This guy is phenomenal. He's has a he has a draw against um, Zubaira Tukagov, which I thought he won without a doubt. Or was it Magomed Mustafaev? I think it was Zubaira Tukagov. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he has a draw against Zubaira Tukagov, and then he has a um, knockout victory over Ricardo Ramos. Um, the thing with Larone Murphy is he's so good at seeing your shots coming. He's got good eyes. Whenever you got good eyes and you're good at managing distance and controlling the range and knowing when you need to step in and when you need to step off, cut an angle, back up and maybe step back in on counter, maybe pull and come back with the counter, um, you can be a dangerous guy. And when you set it up behind fakes and feints and you use your jab and fakes to set up that right hand and you're always in control of the distance and the range and a very smart technical guy, that's always somebody who's going to be tough to beat. And when you look at a guy like Douglas Silva D'Andrage, um, I believe his last fight, he has a decision victory over Henan Barrao. And when you look at Henan Barrao, I mean, he has not won a fight in I can't tell you how long. And to go to decision with that guy, when you know how good and how powerful you are, you know, Douglas Silva D'Andrage reminds me of a more of a more muscular but slender version of Vitor Belfort. He reminds me a lot of him, not only in his looks and his appearance, but also in the way that he fights. He tends to 
really just come forward, look to push you back, put you on the pressure. And then if you try to step into range, right hand, left hook, left shovel hook to the body, right hand, left hook, jab, power, low kick, everything that Douglas Silva Deandraj throws. He keeps his hands high and he looks to throw vicious power shots. But sometimes he winds up on those shots. And what we talk about all the time is straight punches beat looping punches against Lerone Murphy, who's going to be able to control that distance. I think he's going to fake and then pop the jab in Douglas Silva Deandraj's face. I think he's going to fake pop the jab. I think Douglas Silva Deandraj is going to look to resort to, to shoot takedown attempts, whether it's a single leg to get his head on the inside, push him up against the cage and then work from the over under clinch, work his way up the body and look to take him down. I think that that's what Douglas Silva Deandraj's game plan is going to be. He's going to look to step into range, slip a bunch of Leroy Murphy's punches, come over the top with and land that vicious left hook to the body, come over the top with the right hand, the left hook, the jab, land some vicious low kicks, and then push him back and get the pressure on. But against Murphy, he's not an easy guy to pressure. And even if you get him up against the cage, he's got a good ability to get his hips out, control the biceps, control with the overhook, um, circle off the cage, push you back, um, shrimp his hips up if you get the takedowns. He's very good at scrambling. And you saw that against Zubaira Tukagov. Even when he got taken down, he was able to shrimp his hips, get the overhook, get the wizard, um, get his hips back, turn up, um, turn into uh, Zubaira Tukagov and push off, and then keep going, keep moving, and pop him with the jam, faking, maybe fake the step in with a kick just to get an outside angle to land the jab on an angle. Maybe fake the jab, throw the right hand, throw the right hand, left hook, one, one, two, use the fakes and feints. I think the biggest weapon for Lerone Murphy here are the fakes and feints and his right hand. I expect him to use a lot of fakes, fake the step into range to get Douglas Silva DeAndraj to throw wind up shots, to get him to throw power punches to try to counter him. And I think that Lerone Murphy picks him apart with that jab. He times the step in when uh, when uh, Douglas Silva DeAndraj either rips a hook to the body or comes over the top with a looping punch, comes right down the middle with that straight right hand and drops him and gets a finish. I think this is another coming out party for the undefeated Lerone, the Miracle Murphy. And uh, I, I pick him to improve to 10-0 here. I think he catches Douglas Silva Deandraj in the second round. I think he pieces him up a little bit in the first round. But I think Douglas Silva Deandraj does find a way to close the distance, does land some good punches. Because, you know, sometimes you got to get in the face of the technical striker to rough him up and land some power shots. But against Lerone Murphy, I think he's too crisp, too clean, and too technical. He's got too good control of range. Pops that jab in Douglas Silva Deandraj's face to keep him at range. And then in the second round, he finds that kill shot, lands the right hand, drops him, and gets a TKO finish. So my pick is Lerone, the Miracle Murphy, to defeat Douglas Silva DeAndraj via a second round knockout. All right, up next in the flyweight division, you've got a battle between top 15 ranked contenders, number nine ranked Matthew Danger Schnell, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of 14 victories and five defeats, going up against the number 13 ranked Tyson Nam, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of 20 victories, 11 defeats, and one no contest. Um, this is a very, very good fight. It's a battle of striker versus grappler. And who can get their game plan off? Same story as the main event, but we'll talk about that. That's a little bit more intricate, but um, we'll get there very soon. When you look at a guy like Matt Schnell, um, he tends to like to get into brawls. He likes to get in your face, rough you up, 
and then, you know, try to land his big shots. He did hurt Alejandro Pantoja with a left hook in close and he wobbled him, but he came in and he looked to land punches and get into a brawl. He, he has that quality of a Dustin Poirier. Poirier is obviously way more technical. He's way better of a striker. He's got more knockout power, but he likes to get into brawls and he doesn't mind getting in your face to get into a brawl. And um, he's the way that Matt Schnell wins this fight is via his grappling and his wrestling. He can pull guard from in close if um, Tyson Nam closes the distance and gets into an over under. Look for um, Matt Schnell, Matt Schnell to clamp down on that overhook, get a control of the back of the neck, hop into a guard, and work for a guillotine, whether it's arm in or palm to palm or a traditional guillotine, and then look for him to transition submissions. One thing you notice about Matt Schnell is he can transition transition from submission to submission. Against Jordan Espinoza, he had an arm in guillotine. He took the arm that was under the... Um, that had that was wrapped around the arm underneath the the tricep, and he put he moved it over, controlled the head, and switched to a triangle choke. Got off on the angle towards that knee, not the side of the figure four, but the opposite side. Um, hooked under the leg and got the submission. So to be able to transition from an arm and guillotine, reach around the head, control it, switch it to an, a triangle, get the angle, get under the leg to stop the opponent from stacking you or slamming you, and then get the tap. If it goes to the ground, then. Tyson Nam gets submitted and Matt Schnell wins this fight. But the thing about Tyson Nam, he doesn't have a lot of weapons, but he has very, very sharp and very accurate weapons in what he chooses to use. And his main weapon is his jab in his right hand or his left hook in his right hand. He is so accurate with that right hand straight down the center. No windup, no nothing. And whether it comes around like a looping shot, like an overhand, or comes straight down the pipe. One thing he likes to do is counter an inside low kick of an opposite stance opponent. Now, um, inside or outside low kick. It would be outside low kick since they're in the same stance. Both guys are orthodox fighters. So um, look for him to try to counter the outside low kick of Matt Schnell with a straight right hand down the middle and then follow it up with a left hook or just jab and then land the right hand. The thing about Matt Schnell is his chin isn't the greatest. And I know you hear a lot of analysts talk about this. You know, he doesn't have the best chin. He he tends to think that he has a good chin, overcommit on his shots with uppercuts and hooks. He doesn't tend to throw a lot of straight punches. They're looping punches, whether it's overhands, shifting stances, moving his head, overhands, left hooks, right uppercuts, left uppercuts, right hooks. It's hooks and uppercuts from Matt Schnell. Yes, he will throw the, the occasional 1-1 one, one angle off, throw the, uh, the right hand on the middle. He will try to throw the right hand and then move. But the thing with Matt Schnell that you'll notice about his head movement, you see in a lot of his fights, he'll fake, he'll reach, you know, he'll feint the jab, feint the right hand and then he'll slip his head out of the out of uh, off the center line but he doesn't slip his head off the center line during its exchanges he slips his head off the center line before an exchange and then when his head gets stationary that's when he gets hit and if he does tend to slip a punch it's because you know the opponent threw it after he slipped the shot and then you know it, it caused the slip to um it caused the slip to count by avoiding the shot. If you avoid the shot, you did slip it, but he doesn't slip mid exchange. He keeps his head stationary and keeps it on the center line during exchanges and gets into brawls against Tyson Nam. That's a, that's a dangerous, dangerous recipe for disaster. And, um, I think that 
Tyson Nam is so accurate and so good at cutting off the cage and pushing you up against the cage. He's going to get um, Matt Schnell to come in, try to get into a brawl. He's going to measure, boom, come down the middle with that right hand and knock out Matt Danger Schnell. Now, if it goes to the ground, yes, Schnell can get the submission. He can go arming guillotine to um, triangle choke. He can get you in a submission. But I don't see him getting Tyson Nam to the ground. And I think Tyson Nam measures, finds the range, gets maybe fakes a jab, gets Tyson or gets uh, Matt Schnell to overcommit and get into a brawl, drop his hands and try to throw looping punches, times it, boom, comes down the middle with the right hand and knocks out Matt Danger Schnell. So my pick for this fight is Tyson Nam to defeat Matt Schnell via a first round knockout. All right, now we move to the co-main event of the evening, a battle in the welterweight division between Warley Elvez, the only man in the UFC to hold a victory over Colby Chaos Covington via submission, and the only man to defeat Colby Covington in the K in the UFC, going up against Munir the Sniper Lazez, phenomenal kickboxer, phenomenal Muay Thai striker, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of 10 victories and one defeat, coming off of a victory over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in his debut at UFC Fight Island. I believe it was on the card with Cater versus Ige, which was in July. I'm pretty sure that's when he made his debut. And uh, yeah, when you look at this fight, man, I mean, this is your fight of the night. This is your fight of the night without a doubt. Um, two guys who are coming in looking to knock you out. Two guys who, who are not going to look for the takedown. They're going to look to keep it on the feet. Now, Munir Lazez will look to shoot a takedown, but that's only if he's pushing you back and then he gets you to come in. He'll fade back and then shoot under your take under your um, shoot underneath your hips as you come forward. So you're coming forward, you'll overextend on the shot. He'll shoot and take you down just to change the rhythm and change the dynamic of the fight. With Worley Alves, um, it's pretty basic combinations, but, you know, basics pay the bills. He likes to jab. His favorite shot is the right hand, the uppercut, the low kicks. Those are That's his weapons, the low kicks. That is his biggest weapon. Now, against a guy like Munir Lizez, who is very tall, very lanky, very rangy for this 170-pound division, he uses a lot of unorthodox techniques. With guys who are shorter, who are looking to close that distance and step in, which is a guy like Warley Elvez, although I don't consider him to be reckless when he steps into range to land his shots. He will crowd and throw power shots, but he's not reckless in his approach, which makes this fight a little bit harder to predict. But War, um, Munir Lazez uses his range and his distance to his full advantage. They're both orthodox, so there's no outside foot battle in this fight. Um, Munir Lazez is going to look to keep Warley Elvis at the end of the jab. Warley Elvis is going to look to slip and come over the top or come around with the left hook. He's going to slip, come off with the hook, slip, come over the top with the right hand. But he's going to look to land low kicks. Since um, Munir Lazez is so tall, and so lanky and so rangy, his low kick, his legs are going to be there. He does move and he is good at changing angles and moving around. And, uh, but he's got to look out for the low kicks. And the way that Worley Elvis sets him up is very, very good. He's got a beautiful switch left kick to the body. Look for him to go one, two, pull back and switch into the swing his hips into the switch left body kick. Look for him to go two hook switch left body kick. And then when he lands his low kicks, look for him to switch up the timing on the low kicks. Maybe he'll throw, boom, throw a traditional low kick without a setup. Then he'll throw another traditional low kick with a setup just to see if you counter it. Do you move back and pull your leg back? Do you check it like a traditional tie check? 
Do you try to catch it, check, lift, and catch? Or do you just move out of the way, or do you take the kick? Um, against, uh, who was it, Sergio Moraes, he was taking the low kicks over and over and over again, just boom, boom, and he wasn't setting them up. So then he saw that he was countering. I think uh, Sergio Moraes came over the top of the left hand and countered one of the low kicks of Worley Elvis. So Elvis then went bop, 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 like fake three-punch combo, just get the punches in his face with no power just to get him to guard up high and then turn over, turn the hip over, and boom, slam into the low kick. So bop, bop, low kick, bop, bop, low kick. And even when he closes distance, he is very patient. He is very technical, and he doesn't throw a lot of punches. Even though some of them are looping, they're not like messy shots. They're all technical. He'll come over the top with the right hand. Beautiful follow-up on the left hook. He'll dip off and rip to the body. Um, He will be far away. He'll close the range. He's going to look to flying knee you maybe and come with that uppercut. He loves the the uppercut. Look for him to go jab to a right uppercut. And that could be a problem against Munir Lezez. But Munir Lezez is a tall, lanky, rangy fighter. Uppercuts don't usually work on guys who are a lot taller than you unless they change levels. The best weapon for Warley Elvis is going to be the low kicks and the overhand rights. And for uh, Munir Lezez, like I said, he's very tricky, very technical, great Muay Thai striker. They're both going to be an orthodox stance, so look for Munir Lezez to pop the jab. Look for him to time the pressure of to, to counteract the pressure of Worley Elvis and counter him with a knee up the middle. He's so good at timing you with the knees as you step in. He did it against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan to the body. And there's ways he sets him up a little different. Sometimes he'll come straight on, um, arch his hips and come in with the knee and drive it in. Sometimes he'll fake the right power um, round kick and then he'll throw it like a traditional round kick, but he'll just dig the knee into your body. So he'll torque his hips like a round kick and then he'll drive that knee into your body. So it looks like a round kick, but you can't block the knee because he's at too close range, too close of a range to land the body kick but he makes it look like a body kick to disguise the knee. Um, he's good with elbows, whether it's in the clinch, he comes over the top, up the middle with a like a upward elbow, tomahawk elbows where he'll come over the top or come down on an angle from the top. He's really good with the up elbows and then elbows in the clinch. Look for him to land a lot of elbows and knees against Warley Elvez. Um, the one thing with Munir Lezez is he doesn't want to get trapped up against the cage against a guy like Warley Elvis. Like I said, he does have a win over Colby Covington, so that is something you cannot discount. You know, Colby hasn't lost to anybody in the UFC unless your name is Kamaru Usman and Warley Elvez. So that that's big. Kamaru has beaten Warley Elvis, I believe. I believe he beat him via decision. Um, I could be wrong on how he got the victory, but I do believe he beat him. Um, Colby did not. So, um, you know, Warley Elvis has fought the tougher competition. He's been in the UFC a lot longer, you know, 14 and four overall to a 10 and one record for the sniper Munir Lezez. But I think that the, um, the knees to the body are going to take the wind out of, uh, Worley Elvis, I think he's going to get hit with some low kicks is Munir Lezez because he's so tall, lanky, and rangy, but he's so good at controlling the range. I think that left hook to get the angle to land the high kick. I think the knees to the body. I think the elbows. I think the kicks to the body. I think he's going to use a lot of fakes and feints to draw out counters from Worley Elvis, and then he's going to freeze him up and just be able to pick him apart. So my pick for this fight is Munir the Sniper Lezez to defeat Worley Elvis via a unanimous decision. I think he picks him apart, wins all three rounds. I think there are some moments where Worley Elvis does land some power shots and does land a lot of low kicks, 
but I think that Munir Lazez just finds a way to beat him. He's more technical. He's better at controlling the range. He has more weapons than does um, Warley Alves. The uppercut's not going to work as well unless he gets Munir Lazez to change levels. Um, so I believe Munir Lazez defeats Warley Alves via decision. All right, now we move to the main event of the evening in the UFC's welterweight division. A lot of fights in the welterweight division on this card. Um, welterweight and middleweight; those are the those are the main divisions for the card. And it's uh, the battle between the number eight ranked Michael Maverick Chiesa, who holds a record of seventeen victories and four defeats, going up against the number nine ranked Haitian sensation Neil Magny, who holds a professional mixed martial arts record of twenty four victories and eight defeats. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the main event. This fight is very, very close. That's all I'm going to say. Um, it's a battle of striker versus grappler, but not in the sense that you would think. Um, you know, Neil Magny does have a lot better grappling than he did when he faced Rafael Dos Anjos. Because if you remember, Rafael Dos Anjos was able to get him to the ground, get on his, get on top control, get the arm triangle choke, and get the submission in the first round via arm triangle. Now, when you look at Michael Chiesa and we say uh, MMA math doesn't work, Michael Chiesa was able to defeat Rafael Dos Anjos via a pretty clear-cut but close um, decision, 30-27 and 29, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28, I believe, was the scorecards for Chiesa versus Dos Anjos. They were both southpaw. So it was a little bit different. Um, the check hook wasn't going to work that well for Kiesa. The low kicks were right there. It was outside low kicks because they were in uh, the same stance. When you're in opposite stances, um, one is outside low kick and one is inside low kick. So it's a little bit different. Um, Michael Kiesa is not a good striker, but he uses his messy striking to close range and either shoot double legs or get you into the clinch to work trips and takedowns from up against the cage. A lot of the time, Michael Chiesa isn't going to get a takedown in the center of the cage. He's going to throw looping punches and messy punches and shoot underneath, push you up against the cage, and take you down from there. Or, if not, he'll shoot, get you to sprawl, um, duck his head out from underneath, turn around, take your back, and get the body lock, and then use leg laces and grapevines to um, put his weight on you, um, kick out your leg, try to pull you back to sit you down into a back clinch position where he can get his hooks in, or he will hold you up against the cage, wear you out, land some knees to the legs, knees to the body, um, try to pull you down, try to take you down, switch to takedowns and double legs. A lot of really good double legs and turning the corner on takedowns up against the cage for Michael Chiesa. And then top control, he's so long and, and, uh, you know, he's so long and so big for 170 pounds. It's really crazy to think that this guy even made 155 pounds at a point in his career. And uh, he's very big. So he's able to, but he's so flexible and so good on the top position on the ground. His jujitsu is world class. He's very, very good, which says a lot for Anthony Pettis, who was able to drop him and then submit him with a triangle choke armbar, a triangle armbar. Um, so that's a good thing for Anthony Pettis. Um, but he was able to submit Carlos Condit. And then, like I said, he defeated Diego Sanchez via decision and then also defeated Rafael Dos Anjos. And getting a win over RDA, it doesn't mean as much anymore, but RDA just beat Paul Felder. Although he came in on short notice, he looked great in that fight at 155. Um, I think they said before the fight with Chiesa that he was he woke up at like 185. So the guy is a real welterweight, but he can make it to 155. He cut his diet down, got his weight down, and he looked great against Paul Felder. Kiesa's striking is not going to be good against Neil Magny. If it stays on the feet, Neil Magny is going to pick apart 
Michael Chiesa. He's so much better with the jabs, the one twos, the one two three, the one two one two, the one two two three. Um, flying knees, closing range, constantly moving and popping you with the jab. The jab is the best weapon for Magni. The jab and the body kick against a guy like Chiesa, who isn't good on the feet but uses weird um, looping and lazy punches to close the range. He is going to look to get um, Neil Magni up against the cage and work his takedowns, whether it's from the bot from the the um, body lock, whether it's from the over-under clinch, but he's going to always look to get to your back and take you down, whether it's um, putting his weight on you and collapsing you from the front end and collapsing your base, whether it's tripping you out and grapevining your leg, whether it's pulling you back into a seated position to get the seat belt for the with the hooks in for the rear naked choke or take you down in a traditional bop, 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 get you up against the cage, turn the corner, get a double leg, get a double leg and work from the top. He's got good top control. But the thing with Neil Magny is he was never known to have a good ground game. But against Robbie Lawler, he outgrappled him, um, outpositioned him on the ground, controlled him, ground and pound, controlled him up against the cage, turned off the fence in the over-under position when he was putting got his when he did get his back put to the fence um, and, and controlled him on the ground in half guard in a full mount, etc. Against Li Jing Liang. He was able to land some good takedowns, I believe, and uh, control him at range as well. The f- if the fight stays at range, Neil Magny picks apart Michael Chiesa. If the fight is close distance and Michael Chiesa is able to get past the range and get into the over-under clinch position and get into the body lock and take him down, Chiesa can win a decision by out-grappling with uh, chaining takedowns together and controlling on the top or getting a body triangle on the ground from the back of the opponent and then landing some punches and looking to set up submissions but still being in control of the positions at the time of that they occurred during the fight. Um, but overall, um, you can look at MMA math. Um, you know, Neil Magny lost to RDA. Michael Chiesa beat RDA, although it was a close fight. He still did get the victory. But in this case, this is one where I don't see MMA math working. And a lot of people say, well, MMA math doesn't work anyway. It does in some cases, but in this fight, I don't see it working. I think the range is going to be too much for um, Michael Chiesa. I think that the crisp punches, the ones and twos, the jab crosses, the cross jabs are going to be a big problem for Chiesa because Chiesa is only good with a check hook over the top, with a looping right hand, with a looping left, with a looping right hook, with a straight left hand, a lot of looping punches and check hooks as guys try to close the distance. And he tends to be with his hip bumped in, kind of like a hip bump on an angle, kind of a side stance. Against Magni, that side stance is going to leave you open for the jab, open for the right hand, and I think Magni just styles on him. He picks him apart, stays off the cage, is able to get control of the over-under, control with the whizzer, circle off the cage, get back to the center, work his body kicks, work his jab, and just outpaces Neil Ma- or, uh, Michael Chiesa through five rounds. Um, I do think that Chiesa does get a takedown, but I don't think that he's able to do much with it. If he's able to get consistent takedowns, I do think Kiesa can win a decision or possibly get a submission because he is that talented uh, and that good of a grappler. You've seen videos of him grappling Luke Rockhold on YouTube if you haven't seen that. So he is good on the ground. He's got good control, um, good positions, good ability to attempt submissions, and that could be a problem against Magny, or that could be a problem for Magny in this contest. But overall, like I said, I think the the range and the jab and the right hands, the ones and twos and the range control and the pressure of Magni is going to get to Michael Chiesa and the Haitian sensation cruises to another victory via unanimous decision. I think he wins three rounds to two or four rounds to one. I do think uh, Chiesa at least gets one round, 
But overall, my pick is Neil Magny to defeat Michael Chiesa via unanimous decision. All right, guys, that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed this. Obviously, the next podcast episode, I will have UFC 257 predictions, and I will recap this card and the Holloway versus Cater card. So look out, look out, be on the lookout for those probably on the 21st or the 22nd. No, most likely it'll be on a th- on Thursday. Those will be up, so be on the lookout for that. Um, the, obviously, the Touch Em Up podcast is available anywhere your audio podcasts are distributed. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, um, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you can get your podcast, you can get the Touch Em Up podcast. If you also look up Touch Em Up podcast on YouTube, I just put up a Conor McGregor technical breakdown. It's about 12, 11 minutes long. I think it clocked in at 11.11, so hopefully it's a lucky video for me. But I believe it's the most intricate breakdown of the notorious Conor McGregor style, how he uses similar weapons, how he uses three or four weapons to cut the opponent off, no matter who the opponent is, how he sets up his angle for his left hand up against the cage, how he sets it up with a one, three, two, or a three, two, or a one, three, two. I mean, it's, it's about as intricate as you can get with Conor McGregor, the difference between his pull counters, how he'll chain together slips and pulls and rolls. And, uh, yeah, it's great. So look that up. It's called Notorious and then Conor McGregor Technical Breakdown on YouTube under the channel Touch Em Up Podcast. So just search Touch Em Up Podcast the same way you would find this podcast on any of your audio podcast distributors. Um, thank you guys for listening. I'm your host, Double M, and I'm out. And thank you for the support.